Hello and welcome to the Indiana Lawyer Podcast, your source for news and Hoosier law, brought to you by Taft. I'm Tyler Fenwick, Indiana Lawyer, Senior Reporter, and your host. As always, thanks for joining us. For our extended interview this week, I spoke with Court of Appeals of Indiana Judge Margaret Robb. Judge Robb is set to retire June 16th, and she's been granted senior status. We talked about her career, what she's looking forward to next, and even some baseball. But before we get to that, I'm here in our studio with reporter Alexa Shrake and managing editor Daniel Carson to talk about this week's top legal news. Today is Wednesday, June 14th, and these are your headlines. I'll start us off with an update on a challenge to Indiana's near-total abortion ban. The Court of Appeals has scheduled oral arguments in a case where plaintiffs say the abortion ban violates the state's Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Arguments are set for September 12th. The Marion Superior Court entered a preliminary injunction against the abortion ban in December, and the state is now appealing. Appellees include the group Hoosier Jews for Choice and four anonymous plaintiffs. Each side will have 20 minutes for arguments. Now we'll go over to you, Alexa, for an update on an immigration court opening in Indianapolis. So currently, people living in Indiana who are seeking asylum in the United States or need to interact with the federal immigration court officials have to travel to Chicago. However, a new federal immigration court is expected to open in Indianapolis by summer 2024. The Executive Office for Immigration Review recently told Indiana Lawyer that officials expect to have seven courtrooms and about 40 employees in the court, which will serve all of Indiana. The new court will be located in the Minton Capehart Federal Building in Indianapolis. In a written statement, the EOIR said, Quote, EOIR constantly monitors its caseload nationwide to meet the needs of all those with business before the agency. Opening new immigration courts in high-volume areas is one way to meet our stakeholders' needs, end quote. Additional details on the timeline for the new court's opening, hiring plans, or caseload are currently unavailable. And now over to you, Daniel, for an update on a federal civil case involving Indianapolis police officers. Thank you, Tyler. Two Indianapolis police officers who are facing state criminal charges related to the death of Herman Whitfield III won't be facing written discovery or depositions right away in a related federal civil case. Indiana Southern District Court Magistrate Judge Mark Densmore ruled in the federal case that no written discovery may be served on officers Stephen Sanchez and Adam Ahmad and depositions of those two officers may not be taken until the state criminal cases against them are resolved. In his ruling, Dinsmore cited a need to protect the indicted officer's Fifth Amendment rights. Sanchez and Ahmad are facing state charges in Marion Superior Court. They were indicted in April on multiple felony charges related to the death of Whitfield, who died in April 2022 after being tased and restrained by Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department officers while in their custody. Whitfield's parents had called police to the family home because Whitfield was experiencing a, quote, mental health crisis, unquote. Both men are scheduled to stand trial beginning on July 25th. The federal complaint, filed by the Whitfield family last summer, alleges Whitfield was not acting violently or threatening the police officers who responded to his parents' call. It asserts a Fourth Amendment excessive force claim, as well as state law claims of battery and negligence. Back to you, Tyler. Sticking to lawsuits, Indiana is taking the lead in an 18-state lawsuit challenging a proposed asylum rule. 
The rule from President Biden's administration would generally consider those traveling through a third country before reaching Mexico and the U.S.-Mexico border to be ineligible for asylum. But Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita and other states on the lawsuit are calling the rule, quote, some combination of a half measure and a smokescreen. The lawsuit was filed May 31st in the U.S. District Court for the District of North Dakota. In part, Rokita and others are arguing the rule violates the 2006 Secure Fence Act and that exemptions to the rule are arbitrary. Okay, I'll come back to you, Alexa, for an update on a wrongful conviction case. What's the latest there? So the city of Hammond and a former police officer must pay more than $410,000 in attorney fees and costs after $25.5 million wrongful conviction verdict in favor of a Gary man. James Hill Jr. won his wrongful conviction case after spending 18 years in prison for crimes he was later exonerated for. He had been convicted of rape, unlawful deviant conduct, and robbery in connection with an attack against a gas station clerk in 1980. The post-conviction court vacated Hill's conviction in 2009 after DNA testing in 2001 showed the evidence at the scene of the crimes didn't match Hill's. He filed a civil suit in 2010, and a jury last November awarded him $25.5 million in a federal lawsuit last November for compensatory punitive damages. Now the Indiana Northern District Court has ordered the city of Hammond and one of its former officers, Michael Sloan, to pay $410,681, although that was less than the nearly $600,000 Hill had sought. All right, now back to you, Daniel, for a look at what may come next after the Indiana Medical Licensing Board partially found against Dr. Caitlin Bernard. Thank you, Tyler. Indianapolis OBGYN Caitlin Bernard's legal team may not be done in court after the Indiana Medical Licensing Board found Bernard violated patient privacy laws by talking publicly about an abortion she performed on a 10-year-old rape victim from Ohio. The board reprimanded Bernard and fined her $3,000 based on the privacy violation, but rejected accusations from Attorney General Todd Rakita that she violated state law by not reporting the child abuse to Indiana authorities. The board also declined to suspend Bernard's medical license. Bernard, her supporters, and her attorney have been adamant that the doctor could not have anticipated the media scrutiny surrounding the case and that she didn't release any identifying information regarding the victim. The doctor also argued at the board hearing that she followed Indiana's reporting requirements for child abuse cases. Now her legal team says it is, quote, exploring all options, unquote, including legal options after the board's decision. The board has 90 days following the May 25th hearing to issue a written opinion. Once that happens, each side has 30 days to appeal in Marion Superior Court. Back to you, Tyler. Thanks, Daniel. I had the pleasure of counting how many attorneys have been suspended for not complying with admission and discipline rules. That number was 231, according to a June 1st order from the Indiana Supreme Court. Violations included not paying the annual registration fee and not meeting the continuing legal education requirement. There were 124 Indiana attorneys suspended and 107 out-of-state attorneys suspended. And I'm happy to report I only lost track once while I was counting through that list. Okay, I'll come back to you, Daniel, to round out our headlines by telling us what you're working on for our next print issue. I'm working on a story for the June 21st Indiana Lawyer that looks at Senate Enrolled Act 472, 
a bill signed into law in April that calls for regulating advanced recycling facilities as manufacturing operations, which means that they won't need a solid waste license. Advanced recycling is a process that uses chemistry to allow plastics to be recycled at a higher rate than traditional recycling processes. Supporters of the bill expect it to result in more companies that use advanced recycling to locate in Indiana. Some scientists question how much recycling is occurring with advanced recycling. Thanks, Daniel. And you can read that story in our June 21st edition. Okay, that'll do it for headlines this week. As always, if you want more legal news, theindianalawyer.com is the place to go. Stick around after our sponsor break to hear this week's extended interview. Taft, today's modern law firm. At Taft, we cultivate a highly respectful, transparent workplace that fosters creativity, teamwork, inclusion, and diversity. We couple our culture with a client-first approach, rewarding lawyers who understand their clients' goals and work to deliver success. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. For this week's extended interview, I'm joined here in our studio by Court of Appeals of Indiana Judge Margaret Robb, who is set to retire June 16th and will assume senior status. Judge Robb was appointed in 1998 and was the first woman elected chief judge at the COA. She attended Purdue University and received her law degree from IU McKinney. Thanks for joining me today, Judge Robb. Thanks very much. It's good to be here. So as you prepare for retirement, what kinds of thoughts have been going through your head? No, it's been a good run. Um, I loved being a judge. I I look forward to my next phase. Um, I hope I've done well. I hope the people who appeared in front of me, both in person and in writing, felt they got a, f- a fair view of their case. I was honored to be able to do it. What? No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> What was going through your head when you got to that decision that it was time to retire? Well, part of it is the state of Indiana has said that I will retire when I reach 75. So I really didn't have much of a thought process about it in the sense of should I, shouldn't I? I mean, assuming I was reaching that age, I had to. And and that's okay. It, in a way, um, I think having that limit helps because I've known about it for a long time and um, it gives you time to prepare. It gives you time to think about what you want to do in the next phase of your life. It tells you what to do when the clock is ticking down. So it was it was okay. It was a, a good way in my mind for me to reach that retirement. There was no angst. It was going to happen. And Gave me really lots of opportunities, and really, I've been honored a lots of lots of time for friends to say thanks and and to sort of celebrate with friends. How long has that sort of like farewell party been going <laughs> on? <laughs> um, probably most recently for the last couple months, but you know, I have had people comment about it for a while because they know that it was happening. People who want my job have commented on it. So it's all been good. And those are happy moments, I'm mm-hmm. sure. But I'm sure there are also more somber moments where you mentioned you were you know, cleaning out your desk and things. Are there moments where you're sitting back and reflecting on all of it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've gone through my files and when we did everything on paper, it is amazing all the things that we saved. 
But it's, it's really been a reflective time going through files, deciding what to keep, what to not keep, notes that I got from people, thoughts that people would send me, comments either about my cases from articles that were written. You know, all of those things do make you go back and think, think about cases that were maybe surprisingly important. I don't know that we always know what's going to resonate with other people um, or what other people may find as important. So uh, in a lot of ways, it wasn't just reflective. It was kind of fun to go back and think about all those times. I don't come from a legal family. And so for me, it was sort of making my own path. And um, it really did give me a nice opportunity to go back and think about the, the past 25 years. Well, speaking of those types of cases, I mean, were there any that have stuck with you over the years or perhaps any recently rediscovered? Yeah, always. I had a Project Innocence case um, where we reversed someone's conviction and she was not retried. I always joke and say, you get law in this life, you get justice in the next one. And so there are times when I feel like I've been able to do justice even in this life. I've had some cases where I was reversed by the Supreme Court years ago, only to come back full circle and get affirmed when I've stuck to my original position, maybe not in my decision, but in my narrative about why that should be. Um, So that's always been nice um, to know that maybe I wasn't always wrong. And I don't know, I'm sure there have been other cases, but all in all, I think I did okay. Well, what is it like to get reversed by the Supreme Court? Um, one of my colleagues said, you know what? Your paycheck's the same the next day. <laughs> There's an old joke. They're not last because they're right. They're right because they're last. And trial judges say that to us. If that was the case I heard, I might have done what you did. But, you know, there are differences of opinion. And you hope at least that you've supported the decision that you've made and that you're comfortable with it. And if someone else that gets to say whether you were right or wrong disagrees, you go on to the next case. You've done your best. Does that get easier over time to maybe not take it so personally and understand those things? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) I I shouldn't have assumed. (laughs) I suppose it does. Um, The sun will still come up the next day. And the paycheck will be the same, right? As I mentioned, you were the first woman elected chief judge of the COA, and that was in 2011, correct? And and obviously, it took a long time for the court to get there. And I was wondering... It was only 110 years. Only 110 years, correct. Yeah. (laughs) How has the environment for women changed during your time in the legal profession? Well, right now, our court's more than half women. So that's certainly uh, been quite a mark. Um, We've had another woman chief judge after me. So uh, one of the nice things about being first is that you're not the only. So that's a mark that I appreciate. I think the landscape has changed. When I got out of law school, um, being a woman was not necessarily an advantage. They were concerned about whether or not if you had a trial out of town, what would happen if you had to go with the male partner? What would people think? Or you know, law firms worrying about whether or not you m- might have to take some time off if you had a child. And I'm sure maybe 
Some of that still goes on, but for the most part, I do think the landscape is changing. We have women partners of major law firms. Uh, we've had a woman chief judge for quite a while, and she's just quite spectacular. So uh, I have to believe that it changes, and change takes time. There's still a lot more to do and a lot more to travel, but I do think the landscape is different than when I got out of law school. And going back to that time, it's it's 1978, right? Mm-hmm. And you're graduating from law school at McKinney. Was there advice you were getting specific to being a woman entering the legal profession? Yeah, let's make sure the boys get the jobs first. I mean, it was not a very welcoming time. It was, it was not- that condescending? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm wondering over the years how things have maybe changed. If there's advice you hear now or advice that you give? I think there are just a lot more women role models. I think there are a lot more women who've been able to help pave the way for younger lawyers. That's certainly been really important to me that I have tried to do what I could to make it easier for women who came after me. I'm very, very conscious and active in nominating not just women, but but men who've been supportive of, of women for honors that come across my desk. I've tried to help the landscape in the sense of letting young women lawyers know that it's okay to be themselves. They don't have to be somebody else to succeed. So I I think if people like me who've been at it for a long time take an active role, and and I have to say, even back when I was going through, I, I had a lot of male support. I couldn't have done what I had done without male support. So I'm not suggesting certainly that everybody didn't want you know, women lawyers or were suspicious of it. I, I really was the, a very fortunate person. I had a lot of support from lots of different uh, venues and, and people. I think there's just more of it now. And I think women have reached what Malcolm Gladwell would say is the tipping point. There are enough of us that you can't disregard us, but there's still a lot more to go. You mentioned telling younger lawyers especially that you know you, you, it's okay to be yourself and you, you don't need to try to be somebody else. Did you feel that pressure to be somebody else? Probably there was pressure, but I'm a pretty strong-willed person and just felt like I was going to be myself. And I was fortunate. I had a very supportive husband um, who also believed I should be myself, and that mattered. When do you think that started to shift? If you could- Numbers. You know, when, when you have more and more, it's hard to ignore it. Now, had I read through all of your awards and accomplishments, and you're already laughing, but I would still be introducing you, probably. One thing that got my attention, though, was your writing on the law and baseball. And I love these titles. Uh, there's Reflections of Baseball, Life and the Law. There's um, Running Bases, Winning Cases, Why the Grand Old Game of Baseball is Like the Legal Profession. How how did this come about for you, this this connection between baseball and the law? I just, I come from a big baseball loving family and I do a lot of CLEs for lawyers and actually for businesses also. There's not a whole lot of difference between what works either place. And so I try to do interesting topics. I've done the lessons I learned from the Godfather. I'm doing one on my cousin Vinny. 
But baseball, in fact, I currently am doing a lot on baseball, on ethical lessons I learned from baseball. And I just, I love baseball. I think, I think it does tell life's story. You know, you do something really well, what have you done? You hit a home run. Um, it's just filled in our vernacular. And I love the game. And I've always loved the game. My family have always loved the game. I used to, my husband and I, used to spend a lot of our vacation with our son when he was growing up, going all over the country to baseball games. Uh, my husband grew up in Brooklyn in the heyday of the Brooklyn Dodgers, never accepted their move to Los Angeles. Um, so it's just always been a part of my life. I have a, an old professor who never accepted that move either. I've, I've heard quite about it. Yeah, quite a bit about it, excuse me. There's, there's that old saying in baseball that, you know, the the very best hitters, the ones who make it to the Hall of Fame, succeed, you know, maybe thirty percent of the time. I use and, that in my speech. And what's so? What's the application from that to the legal profession? Yeah. Well, lawyers probably should do a little better. That's than what I was 30%. thinking. You don't want to. You don't want to do thirty percent. Know, part of it is understanding that that the practice of law, practice of business, whatever you're talking about, is a marathon. It's a lot of short races. And you're going to succeed in some and you're going to fail in some. But learning from your failures will help you with the next success. Mickey Mantle used to like to tell a story when he calculated how many times he was up to bat and how many times that, that he actually got a hit, but how many times he walked and how many times he struck out. He said, you know, I played baseball for seven years without getting a hit. So part of it is are you a half full or a half empty glass kind of person? Um, you get to define your successes. Not all of the successes are right in your playing game. So, yeah, winning 30% is not necessarily the whole story. You know, there's also um, the, the quote, when the one great score comes to mark against your name, he writes not whether you won or lost, but how you played the game. Um, so there are a lot of these stories that, that really do reflect on life in general. And don't take this the wrong way, but you you strike me as somebody who maybe struggled to accept or deal with those failures of your own, maybe especially early. Oh, I don't know. I think the hard part is understanding that that there are ups and downs and learning how to deal with the ones that didn't come out quite the way you had hoped and and learning from them and taking that lesson for the next day. I pulled that from your admitted stubbornness that you mentioned <laughs> earlier. Absolutely. And for for lawyers now, I I wonder if there's more pressure on them, the ones coming out of law school. Um, you talked about you know your own challenges, but I wonder if there are new challenges with things maybe being more fast paced. There's more pressure. Do you see any of that through through the lens uh, on the bench? I think, I think there will always be challenges. I, I mean, we've had COVID. How do you deal with being at home? Uh, I think we need to be with people, but yet do you transition back to your office? We have personal needs. You know, digitally things are being done different. You know, do you feel the need to keep your phone on 24-7? Do you hit reply all or reply within, you know, 30 seconds? Um, I think there are some time dimensions that are different. I think we miss meeting our colleagues at the water cooler. I think that 
makes a difference in our lives. You know, when we don't know about people's vacations and people's families and how are they feeling, gee, you don't look, you know, you look a little off today. Is something the matter? I think all of those things and the isolation, if you're not coming into work, they do all matter. They're different. The pressures may be different, but I think we're going to always have those kinds of issues. They may be different, but I don't think it will ever not have something there. And isn't that also part of baseball being adaptable, learning Flexible, how to... Flexible, adaptable, sure. Yeah. Uh, last thing I wanted to mm-hmm. hit on before we go um, is, is things that you think you may miss the most about being a judge on the Court of Appeals. Well, fortunately, I'll still be on senior status, so I'll still get to write some opinions. I'm still doing some special projects for the court. I'm looking for new challenges. Um, I'm currently a master in a discipline case. They call them masters as opposed to judges. I've offered to help out my um, local community in Tippecanoe County. So uh, I was never a trial judge. So at this stage of my life, that will be a new experience. Um, the disciplinary commissions reached out to see if I will help on things that that oh, might you know be uh, important. So I'm looking for new challenges, um, new things to do, new things to learn, new experiences. Looking forward to spending some time with my son and his family. So that's uh, on a personal note, uh, something I'm looking forward to. So lots of things to do, lots of new challenges. I'm I'm excited about those kinds of things. I'm glad you mentioned the personal element to that. Obviously, that's a big part for for anybody uh, who retires or even in the middle of your career. You know, some people get a sabbatical and it seems like that's, uh, you know, one of the most important things is reclaiming some of that time. I mean, what are anything in your personal life that you're you're trying to do? Any kind of travel, anything like that? Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to traveling and uh, haven't decided where yet. My Visiting with, as I said, my son and his family, he will be uh, spending a year in England. He's uh, in the Navy, and his next assignment will be in England for a year. So I'm looking forward to going over there and visiting him and, his again, his family, my grandchildren and his wife. And so lots of new things to do, uh, things that I didn't have time to do or just didn't do. Well, I wish you all the best in, in getting to do those things. Well, thank you. This was fun. I enjoyed uh being reflective of my career, giving me the opportunity. Absolutely. And that'll do it for this week's extended interview. Thank you again for joining me, Judge Rob. Thank you. As always, to hear our previous interviews, visit theindianalawyer.com or find us on your favorite podcast app. We'll talk to you next time.